So, Berto, you grew up Catholic, right? I did. And there's this thing called Catholic guilt. Oh, gosh. Yes. I feel it. Have you heard of it? I felt it. <laughs> I do. Let's talk about it today. What do you say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then after that, we can respond to other patron emails. Let's do it. This is the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirk Honda. I'm a therapist and a professor. My name is Umberto Castaneda, and I repair sandals. This is a, an email from patron Michaela. Michaela writes, I keep hearing about this idea of Catholic guilt and constantly feeling the need to do things that you don't want to in order to please other people and to avoid feeling guilty. I have a friend who says that anyone she's known who was brought up outside of the Catholic religion has a completely different outlook on life. Hmm. Is this real? Can you talk about it on your show? Berto, what do you think? Yes, 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 yes. Um, so I grew up in Colombia. Colombia, like uh, many Latin countries, is Catholic because it was uh, invaded by uh, you know Spain, which was a Catholic country, and so that became the the religion. And unlike the United States, or at least unlike the United States is supposed to be, um, historically religion had been very mixed into the government and and the institutions. In fact, in the colonial times, the highest the head of the region was was the the religious head the um bishop or uh, cardinal the viceroy or whatever yeah um and so anyways that was the backdrop um the other thing that happened is that it's the the brand of catholicism in south america is one that got sort of intermixed with a lot of mysticism like uh native beliefs i think so there's a lot of superstitions on top of the already superstitious catholic beliefs mm. it's like the superset uh but yeah growing up uh first of all all the grandmas right they would always have carry their little rosaries and they would always be blessing themselves and saying oh this is the end this is really gonna be it this is gonna about anything that happened like something happened and they'd be like oh this is that i just knew this is just it and it's like this like paranoia, the end this, of the world that like the end of what of, of our society or our house or our it's just like everything was really dramatic and tragic oh. they were always like saying little prayers why do you think they did that well to be fair it was a very violent uh, environment in Colombia. Yeah. So it, it and, you know, historically, it probably was always very dangerous. You know how post-traumatic victims and stuff like that. Yeah. Like uh, the people that were raised after the survivors of World War Two. There, there's the. I think it's similar in that you grow up in an environment that, like, look, there's there was a whole period of time in Colombia in the 1930s or 40s or something that was like a decade, I think. And the name of that time period was called the violence. That was literally the name of that time period. So very lots of like, blood. Like we we have the Great Depression. Yeah, they had the violence. Right. Lots of violence. Lots of scary stuff. And so, so maybe that was part of it. But on that's top interesting. Of that, interesting idea to think it like because off the top of my head, a lot of Catholic Americans anyway come from. They came to America as many groups did, but particularly Catholic Americans who came from countries that th bad things were happening. You yeah. Know, Irish Catholics. Persecution and stuff. Persecution, famine, uh, yeah. um, war, violence. <laughs> uh But basically, the, uh, the yeah, so th there was that feeling. And on top of that, going to Catholic school, um, well, they would literally put the fear of God in us. You know, they would talk about hell. They would talk about all the sins and how many ways you have to sin and 
and how easy it is to sin and all these things. Um, and so it, it was like imbuing this sense of paranoia. Like, oh, and on top of that, we would talk about original sin, how we're right. all sinful. Like, and the only way that it's very hard to remove that scrub off that sin. So yeah, there was this permeating feeling of guilt and like, did, did, I'm not does it worthy. affect, does it affect you in your adult life? It did up until my late twenties, maybe even early thirties. How, how did it affect you? Uh, I felt guilty even from, okay, first of all, any sexual stuff, I always felt guilt. Mm. Um, anytime I was watching maybe, uh, a, a rated R movie, you know, violence or things like that, or anytime I was, uh, partying too hard, like I felt guilt. You really? Know? Yeah, I mean, it wasn't enough to stop me, but it was definitely like, like oh, I know I shouldn't be doing this, you know. Mm. Um, like God is watching, or your grandma. It definitely there? used to be God is watching. Eventually, it was le- a lot less specific. It was more just a feeling of this is not right. Mm. Um, and certainly, when I was younger, like early twenties, and definitely in high school and stuff like that, uh, I did feel a sense of dread, like. Like, oh man, I'm, I'm just a sinner. Like, you know, I, I, and when I was young, I, I remember, um, I was really little, like on second grade. And I remember I did this very crappy thing, which was, uh, there was a girl that I was going out with, you know, we were like dating for like a second or whatever, but we were dating and, uh, the kids in class started, there started a rumor that she was dating someone. And then they started making fun of who, like, they didn't know who it was, but there was like, oh my God, I can't believe. And I got so embarrassed and I was so scared that I would, that they, I would find out, or sorry, they would find out who it was. So I made up an, a rumor that it was this other kid. <laughs> I just thought, isn't it? I mean, I can relate because what grade? <laughs> Second grade. Yeah. Exa- exactly the same time, third grade for me. I have similar <laughs> stories. It's like, what a weird world that <laughs> right. like we would get so insecure about right. the, the weirdest things. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> like it's such a weird story. You know, you wanted to date her, date, go out with right. her. And there's a rumor like who, who's her girlfriend? And instead of like just saying it's me, it's, it's like, it's like it, you're, right. you immediately think, Ooh, this is a bad idea. I and need, s- and I, so I was such a jerk that I threw under the bus, this other kid, unsuspecting kid, but how is it throwing him under the bus? He's the he's the boyfriend. Isn't he the winner? Isn't he the one? No, because he doesn't get to be her boyfriend. They just get to think he's the boyfriend, so they tease him mercilessly. <laughs> so then she, of course, breaks up with me and is super mad. <laughs> of course. I felt like a sinner, like uh, such. Because you lied. Yeah, so I spent like probably a couple of weeks. You should have felt bad. Well, no, and I was a dick, but I felt, not only did I feel bad because I did a bad thing, but in fact, actually, no, I'll go further. Instead of feeling bad that I screwed over this little kid, I felt bad that I had sinned. Like the thing I was feeling bad about was selfishly, (gasps) I've sinned. I'm in trouble. Rather than going to apologize, you know, of course I'm in second grade, but you know, rather than thinking, oh, how could I do such a horrible thing to another person? I was like, (gasps) I've sinned. I'm in trouble. Right. So it's complex uh, to answer your question, patron Michaela. Uh, there are many different cultural groups within the Catholic religion now and throughout history. You know, Berto is Colombian. You have Mexicans. You have Argentinians. You have Irish, American Irish. You have Italian. You have Filipino. You have Polish. You have Greek Catholics. And so 
it's really hard to generalize right. in this way. Um, and also, guilt is not only among Catholics. Right. I'm, here, I'm here to tell you <laughs> that general Christian sort of cultures can sure. absolutely have just as much guilt. Uh, Jewish people will tell me that they have a lot of guilt in their society. Uh, Koreans, regardless of your uh, <laughs> your um, religion, will talk about families that you know imbue a lot of guilt. Well, and like in Japanese culture, there's all the losing honor, right? Yeah, the fear right. of losing honor, right? So this idea that somehow like Catholics have an, a, a monopoly on guilt is really <laughs> just just silly. Um, I, I would imagine that like half of the world cultures have a tradition of guilt yeah. that's probably more severe than the other half of the world's cultures, you know? Yeah. Um, but as you've been saying, Berto, that guilt is essentially built into the culture of Catholicism yeah. and it, it's built into the dogma as it's commonly right. practiced anyway. Well, and in fact, and you're right, it's, it's even beyond Catholicism as Christianity in general, but as you know, a lot, like so much of the, of the rituals are set up around going to confession right. and taking communion. Which right? is particular to, well, communion is across all Christianity, but... but confession, but, but confession is very Catholic. Right. So it's this thing about like, listen, you got to go to confession because guess what? You've sinned. Right. Like you are guilty. Right. And that the, the whole idea of original sin right. is very Catholic. The the whole notion... Uh, so a friend of mine filed, you know, you know Chris filed. Yeah, he talks. He, he, I think he grew up Catholic, but he he often talks about how he likes. If he says, if I, if he says, if I believed in God, I would be Catholic because the Catholic <laughs> God is kind of badass. You know, <laughs> the, the the normal Christian, the normal non Methodist God is a soft, you know, nice, <laughs> forgiving God. You know, and he's like, but the Catholic God has warriors. It's and, more like Zeus. <laughs> and, and is angry and yeah. will, and if you, you know, in certain ideas, if you die without having confessed, that's why right. you have right. the final rights or last rights. Or yeah, right. that will allow you to confess or yeah. at your last dying breath because the idea goes is that if you have sins hanging over your head, you go to hell. Right. And, and whereas in the Methodist Protestant God is not that, <laughs> not that mean, you know, like is much nicer. That's <laughs> a badass guy. It's like a, a mafia Don, right? Yeah. Like what have you done for me lately? <laughs> right. And so, <laughs> so uh, it's a different mindset and a different set of rules. Right. And, <laughs> and you see it, you're, you're going on, you know, you, you just died. You're on going on the way to heaven. This a nice angel sits next to you. Another angel sits behind you and they're talking so nicely to you. And all of a sudden, bam, <laughs> you're off to hell. <laughs> yeah. Grab the cannoli. Um, but again, some, some other religions definitely have that as well. It's not like, you know, I know Protestant people who grew up as kids, just as terrified as you were of yeah. going to hell and all that kind of stuff. Right. 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 Um, but in general, like the church I grew up in, which was what I call kind of a hippie church, it was much more humanistic and much more, uh, much, much less uh, smiting and <laughs> less smiting. Yeah, it was, it was, it was so much, it was accepting and loving. And essentially what, what I remember being taught as a kid was as long as you believe in Jesus, you're going to heaven. So, so the, um, remember when the omen, came out well okay yeah. to be fair 
this was after the omen actually came out but when i was a kid uh i forget maybe the omen played on tv or something a lot of us were talking about it at school and we were freaking out yeah and we talked to one of our professors like i think the religion professor now Imagine what would be responsible for an adult to do when a whole bunch of youngsters are freaking out well, about you, a movie they see. Well, said. if you believe in it, then the responsible thing would be to say, it's re- if stuff like that could happen. That's exactly what he's like, yup. And so instead, like, it only made us more paranoid and scared. Uh, that's what they want. Because this adult was like, yup. They, but that, they want, you know, that's why, you know, <laughs> fear God, right? Right, All right. Kind of, um, <laughs> But to specifically close with answering your question that, you know, your friend was saying that, uh, you know, if you're not Catholic, you have a completely different outlook on life. That's a ridiculous notion. Um, one, you know, just getting back to what I was saying earlier, the whole idea that the Catholic, being right. Catholic is one united culture is ridiculous. Right, you got, right. Again, Filipinos, Italians, Mexicans, Colombians, uh, Irish people. Uh, people who live in Seattle are Catholic. You know, it's, it's, yeah. Com- yeah. Uh, I know people right now that uh, hate the current Pope, but they consider themselves hardcore Catholics and they consider themselves so Catholic that they only go to a Catholic Latin Mass. Okay. Right. God. And, and, and so they, they are also Catholic, just like the Catholic people that would go to a normal Catholic church and believe in the Pope. And so it's, it's a wide spectrum. Right. Of- exactly. So, so the whole idea that Catholicism as a, as a, you know, uniform cultural group is, is silly. And the idea that, that their notion of guilt is completely different. That's in the culture, you know, like you'll hear people talk like, oh, Catholic guilt, you know, and I think it's because the, the phrase Korean guilt isn't popular, you know, (laughs) but, but we've, it's a, it's funny to talk about Catholic, oh, you know, Catholic guilt or, oh, Jewish grandmas. You know, like there's, there's certain catchphrases sure. that people use. And, uh, and I think you can get sort of bought into it if, if you don't think critically about it. All right, let's go on to another patron email. Fa- famous patron Lennon asks, he, he's been sending a lot of short questions. Nice. Uh, what deal with these? What's the most openly sellout band you can think of? Oh, what do you think? Easy. The Beatles. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like everyone talks about sellout bands as like this negative, right? But I mean, a sellout band is like a band that found a way to like capitalize their art to the max. This is such a Birdo answer. I swear to God. I mean, the Beatles made the most money out of their art. I mean, but is there a band that you were upset that they sold out? I see. Like a band that had a style that and then you changed the style to quote unquote make more money. Right. Which is the conventional. The Beatles. They had this great sound in the Cavern and in Liverpool and in uh, Hamburg. And then as soon as they decided to uh, make more money, they cleaned up their act. They put on their little suits. They started to want to hold your hand. You know. But you love the Beatles. Well, I do. Because I, I love sellout bands. I, re, I restate my question. Is there a band? <laughs> I see. But, but you, I there see. might not be. I mean, that's I the see. whole thing. Like, you might not. You There might. I mean, but you might be immune to this. <laughs> well, because you you love pop so okay, no, much. Okay, okay. To a certain extent, nowhere near a strong feeling. I did feel that Depeche Mode somewhat, quote unquote, sold out after Violator. Good, good answer. Yes. Yeah. They sold out because grunge came on the yes, scene, yes. and no one wanted electronic music. Yes. 
And so they got a real drummer. Right. And uh, Gahan, Gahan drew. And got a little more. I feel grunge. Yeah. It's and, in my ass. And he grew his hair out. Yeah. And they had guitars and no kind of synthy sounds anymore. And it was very grungy and yeah. dirgy. And, um, and that was bad, right? I mean, yeah. it's hard to come up with a song yeah. past Violator that I really like. Right, right, right. And, uh, but I, I kind of just attribute that to them. Just, I don't know. It's kind of, and like, they did so much good before that, that it's yeah. like hard to be, but they lost some of their key members, you know, throughout the years, like all the great albums that, you know, Violator and before they had uh, that one guy. No, 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 no. That was just Vincent. Uh, no, they had the other guy, the guy we saw live at the triple door with, with Ron. Remember that guy? What's that guy? No, 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 the no. The fourth no. member. Yeah, but that doesn't matter. It was it, Martin Gore and Gahan were the only ones that mattered. But initially, Vincent Clark. But then there was that other guy who who also Andy whatever. Yeah, he yeah. he had a well. Then the other guy. Yeah, but but those were well. Did they lose a third, a third, or a fourth person? No. Well, God, I, wish I think I, had... I think they just lost two people over the years. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But I I don't know. I don't think that did it because Martin Gore was ultimately the writer. Okay. I, other than initially it was Vincent Clark, but then it was Martin. Gore. So my answer is it, so a lot of people point to, to a lot of bands. The, yeah. the, the most famous is Bob Dylan. He's so oh right the electricity right which is uh, but I love all his stuff. Yeah. I uh, guess I wasn't there at the time. Right. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, at the time, it was a big deal because the, the singer-songwriter with an acoustic guitar right. was was like a political statement. Yeah, yeah. And for him to sell out by Plugging looking like in. every other band, you know what <laughs> I mean, was was very hard oh, for some man. people. You know, because some people really identified with his right. with his thing, you know, um, which I never understood because, you know, we weren't a part of that. Anyway, another band that people point to is Metallica. Really? Oh, yeah. Metallica in the early 80s, mid 80s was like a legitimate speed metal band. Yeah. And did not appeal to anyone outside of fans, very few fans, you know? Yeah. And then they came out with all their pop songs. Justice I mean, for All. Uh, and that then, was yeah. past Dave Mustaine, I guess. And then they had, after, right. And then they had more albums after that, you know? Because uh, uh, nothing else matters. You know, right. they. Uh, they had a slow so they song. got good, is what you're saying. <laughs> well, but that's what you know we would say. But like yeah. the you know, so that's a legitimate sellout. I see. And and there are people who hate you know that post that, yeah. that version of Metallica. Um, people will say Journey is a common one because come on. Well, because er, you probably don't even I know. don't even know the early yeah early. Oh. Like, Genesis is another one they probably named too. Well, that's my big oh, one. Oh, I see. Okay. I'm getting Sorry to, to steal your thunder. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so Journey is another one people point to because, and I'm a huge Journey fan. I, I've gone down huge rabbit holes of Journey. I know, you love Journey. Yeah, and because Escape came out when I was nine years old, and yeah. I listened, that's with Don't Stop Believing and yeah, o- yeah. Open Arms. And, but so they sounded different before that? So before that, there was a time when... Um, Steve Perry wasn't even in the band. Oh. And it was basically a spin-off band from uh Santana. So a couple <laughs> a couple guys from Santana's band that Wow. So you know the guy who's saying, It's a black magic woman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he is an awesome keyboardist singer. Uh-huh. And then um uh Neil, uh God, I can't remember his full name, but he was the guitarist and and, and he was a like huh. a fifteen year old prodigy that played 
with Santana, like, oh, wow. like head for head, you know? Right, I mean? right, right. And so they broke off and they, they formed a progressive rock band, you know, oh. and got like a good keyboard or a good uh, bassist and a good drummer. And, and they were called Journey? And they were called Journey. Okay. And, and they, they had, a, you know, a good four albums that, that there was a small group of people that really loved, you know? It was sort of like, <laughs> um, like early Yes and early Genesis. There was a whole yeah, slew of yeah. these early 70s progressive rock bands that were way better musically than was good for them <laughs> right and just you know purposefully odd you know early sort of pink floyd early pink floyd yeah um and so then they wanted to get a little bit more popular so they got steve perry and steve perry just has this <laughs> amazing voice <laughs> ridiculous that really appeals to a lot of people you yeah, know? yeah. and i mean like top five like it's just a yeah, ridiculous voice his, his voice is just so amazing and then they, and then Steve Perry started influence things uh, and then he became kind of, cause originally it was like just the band, you know, everyone yeah, yeah. was equal and then eventually came just Steve Perry. Oh, I see. And, and then, so there are people that don't like all the music that after that. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, um, Chicago, Def Leppard. Yeah. Right. Def Leppard. Wait, is Def, Def Leppard. Yeah, for sure. Really? So again, um, Pyromania, uh, I believe, was the album that sort of like just before they sold out. Like, Pour uh, some sugar on me. I mean, there, <laughs> there was a time when Def Leppard was like, you know, a legitimate. That's sort fair. Of, I didn't know them until Pour Some Sugar right. on Me. Um, ACDC, another band. Uh, because, well, but that was more because they lost their singer, right? But they, I mean. Yeah, but they became way more poppy and, and mainstream. Yeah. Now, you could argue that it was just sort of an evolution of the sound they were already developing, yeah. but some people say... Uh, Van Halen is another band. Sure, I could see that. Yeah, because early Van Halen was pretty hard, yeah. and then and then they... And then, you know, you have a song like Jump that is has keyboards. Yeah. Dun, 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 Great song. Dun. Okay. Uh, U2, uh, you know... Most def- of these examples, by the way... What what people call selling out, I call getting good. <laughs> like, right. oh yeah, then they learn how to write songs. Well, you <laughs> you are that exact Nirvana. Some people say sold out, you right. know, with with Nevermind, uh, Stone Gossard f- from Green River to Pearl Jam, Motley Crue, Rush, the Rolling Stones. People often say sold out, uh, Ugh, right? You know, because they used to be harder, and then they started playing disco in the seventies. <laughs> um, REM is another example. That I would actually point to. I could do a whole episode on REM and how uh, I wouldn't call it selling out, but I would call it like I didn't like this shift in. I I love the first four albums mm. dearly. Like the the first four albums, Murmur, Fables, um, uh, God damn it, I can't think of them off the top of my head. It's been a while, but anyway they get me to the core and then automatic for the people came out and um you know all those albums that you know yeah. shiny happy people all that kind of stuff right, right, right. uh green the album green was sort of the transition so would you say those and in the place yeah. where you live yeah. all the songs i like but, but were those early albums just harder or what was the no difference? they they were just musically more interesting and they were oh. more upbeat like like the song, um, Everybody Hurts. Right, it's a little I, emo. I just find it to be so boring. That you know? is a boring song. Yeah, and, and it's, it, and then, um, you know, what's the frequency, Kenneth? It's, you know, I just find these songs to just, like, if you listen to Murmur, yeah, and uh, these early singles that they had, Gardening at Night, 
Was um, Night Swimming an early song? No, it's later. Oh. Um, Radio Free Europe. The, these kinds of songs, they're, they're upbeat, you know, driver eight. They're like okay. fast and interesting and like dark, but, but still, I think poppy. I mean, oh, I think okay. absolutely. I gotta listen to this. Yeah, I, I love the first four or five albums of, of R.E.M. Anyway, so the Batman I want to talk about is Genesis. And they started out <laughs> in actually 69, uh, with Peter Gabriel and, right. and Phil Collins was just the drummer. <laughs> yeah. And so for, I don't know, six or seven albums, it was Peter Gabriel. Right. And Peter Gabriel, we know him in the eighties. Well, yeah, there's another example. Who sold out. Yeah. <laughs> but he was, again. he learned how to write songs. Yeah. They were like, per, along with yes. And, um, maybe pink Floyd, like but see, yes, wrote good songs. Well, not in the early seventies. Really? Though. I mean, one, one or two, you know okay. what I mean? Like, but if you just li- sit down with a Yes album from 1971, like it's hard. So in uh, in my college years, when I learned that the awful truth about Genesis, right? Like, because I didn't know, I just thought Genesis. When I learned that Genesis used to be different, I thought, okay, I'm going back to the roots because I love Genesis. Right. So I bought like this compilation CD thing of all the pre Phil Collins, and I started listening to it, and man, I wanted to love it. Yeah. I was so bored. Yeah. Yeah, I've been there, man. I've been. I, I went down a very so. Yeah, it would have been like ninety one. I I discovered oh, there's an early Genesis, and so I would go to Cellophane Square <laughs> in the U District, and I would buy twenty five cent records right. of, of early, and the, the cover art was always kind of weird. Wow, and stuff. yeah. And I, I mean, this is gonna be, this, this is gonna be awesome. You know, I put the record on. I'm just like, what? Like, anyway, so. So then Peter Gabriel left and uh, mid-70s, late-70s, and um, and Phil Collins started to sing, but they still kind of retained their progressive roots. Mm-hmm. But then Duke album came right. out in 1980, and this is this is a song with uh, Misunderstanding. And for the first time... There must be some misunderstanding. Such a great song. Uh Turn it on, turn it on again. Yeah, and it it number one in the UK, number eleven in the US. Yeah. It was it was the band's biggest commercial set, success up at that point, and arguably quite poppy. But to yeah. me, like a good version of pop. Yeah, you know? right. Yeah, good songs. And then eighty one, Abacab, number one UK, number seven in the US. Uh, no reply at all. Right. It's no reply. At, another just. I there are certain songs. There's probably like. 200 songs that I can listen to indefinitely. indefinitely. Yeah. Misunderstanding, uh, no reply at all. I can listen to those two songs over and yeah, over and over again. Songs. The drumming, the keyboard part, the bass yeah. part, the singing. I mean, Phil, why was Phil Collins not the lead singer? I mean, he has such an amazing voice. Yeah, right? You know? Which was an odd thing. Cause, you know, Peter Gabriel is a great singer too, but I always find it fascinating when in the same band you happen to get two amazing singers. Yeah, like the Beatles. Like yeah. George Harrison was like, you know, just the other guy, yeah. you know, and he has just this beautiful voice. Right, you know, right. it's just so bizarre and unique. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, the 80, 81, same year as Abacab, Face Value. Uh, this is actually Phil Collins' first solo album. This is that is where? Uh, in the Air Tonight. In the Air Tonight. Uh, and I Missed Again. Uh huh. Like that's a great song. Uh, Eighty-two next year, uh, another Phil Collins solo album. Uh, Hello, I must be going. Um, I don't care. I don't care anymore. <laughs> Why do you think he needed to do solo albums? 
Um, I don't know. It's a good question, but they, they sold like hotcakes. Yeah, they did. Uh, 83, uh, Genesis self-titled album went number one in the UK, number nine in the US. This has many, uh, huge uh, right. songs on it. It's one of my favorite albums of all time. Mama, that's all home by the sea. You're taking it all too hard. Yeah. Uh, just a job to do. And this super racist song called illegal alien. Oh, which, which we won't talk about. <laughs> um, 1984, Phil Collins writes Against All Odds for, right. you know, uh, take a look at me now. Because Zazos is standing here. I mean, these are, he's something left here. Yeah, he's, he's so good. He's, it's a soulful, yeah. belty ballad that has legit power, you know. 85, another Phil Collins solo album, No Jacket Required. Su, su, studio. Su, su, studio. So, so here's when we're starting to get a little sell-out. Yeah. And it's also starting to get later in the 80s. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one more night. Give me, Give me just, just one, one more night. night. Uh, don't Lose My Number. Yeah. Uh, great song. Take Me Home. Take, uh, take yes. me home. Uh, and then same year, 85. Take with uh, Philip Bailey, Easy Lover. Great song. She's an easy lover. She takes you home, baby. Okay, so, so. But now, then Invisible Touch. Okay, so I'm getting to that. So, I, so people say that as soon as Duke came out in 80, so this whole section from 80 to 85 is total sellout. But to me, I think it is the good phase of the sellout. Oh really? Okay. <laughs> so so they absolutely sold out yeah, in yeah. terms of like trying to appeal to the masses. But I consider it to be this wonderful phase. There's a similar phase in Journey actually. I think Escape might even kind of be that. There's okay. like a, there's like a few years there where it's like a good sellout. They're po- they're they're trying to appeal to a broader audience but they still kind of retain their their kind of progressive roots, okay. you know. So now we get to 85, the other part of 85 and uh this is when everything starts to go really bad for, for Genesis and Phil Collins. Uh, Separate Lives, The White Knights. Uh, I love that song. I mean, it, now, don't get me wrong. I love these songs, too. But when I, I mean, I loved them at the sure, time. Sure, but compared to, like, they don't sound like Genesis. Right. Invisible Touch comes out in 1986. I, okay, so Invisible Touch was one of my favorite albums. So this is the best-selling Genesis album uh, in the U.S., selling over 6 million copies. So what does this say? I'm vanilla. N- number one in U.K., number three in the U.S. Um, Invisible Touch, which isn't a terrible song, but it's nothing... Invisible Touch, yeah! But it's nothing like their their other pre... Their 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 first sellout phase, you know? Sure. Throwing it all away. Oh, throwing it all away. It's okay. You know, Land of Confusion. Oh, in the video for Land of Confusion? That was intense. Into Deep. Uh, not awesome, a bad, man. not a bad tonight, tonight, yes. tonight. That's probably, that's a good jam right there. But all of these. And they had a prog song on that album. What song? Uh, I forget the name of it, but it, it it's instrumental only. Oh, well, all five of these songs entered the top five on the U.S. single chart. They were huge songs. Yeah. Um, but you know, when I sit down, I have a Genesis playlist. None of these songs are on. Maybe tonight, oh, tonight, man. tonight. Just, I we, had that CD in high school and it was one of my favorites yeah, i had the record um 1988 a groovy kind of love so this is this is phil collins two hearts living in okay, just okay okay one. okay 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 you uh, got me you got me uh, 19, I give. 1989 another day in paradise oh i give i've, I've conceded okay 91 
we can't going? we can't dance do you oh, remember? I remember with the, oh oh my god that was terrible with the video with they're like in the beach with the hats and the and the and the song was I can't dance that was so bad I can't dance da, da, da. that was so bad and they received a Grammy Award nomination no I remember this actually yeah and, and number one album in the UK number four in the US Ugh. because it All was right. their follow up to Invisible Touch okay. you know? I, I I think you you make a good point at this point <laughs> Phil Phil Collins quit the band after this thank god uh and and so we only had to deal with really and then two, he made disney songs and two made really, billions yeah two really bad albums invisible touch and we can't dance those are truly just but can I, we put this on phil collins no absolutely not it's it's three of them for okay. sure because the other guy mike he did mike and the mechanics but he had that one song that was really nice and those songs were similar kind no, but of but he had that one nice song yeah it was okay what was it like the in the living years yeah uh but, you're right it had that little breakdown part say it loud <laughs> <laughs> i forgot all say that. it clear <laughs> <laughs> i forgot all about that one. all right let's take a break All right, we're back from the break. If you haven't become a patron of the podcast, I mean, if, if people are listening to this point, Berto, at this point, and they're not a patron, <laughs> what do you what do you think is going through their mind? They need some therapy. <laughs> <laughs> well, they all need that. Also, if you're having trouble, if you are a patron and you're having trouble with the feed, uh, feel free to email me at contact at psychologyinseattle.com. You know, I upped the limit in the settings. Oh, you did to three hundred, but that's the max. That's I the can max. Do. Yeah, it, it's the, the whole pa- patron feed is is kind of unique to this podcast, and I, I'm trying to figure out a way to make it make some of the more sought out older episodes easily accessible. Uh, and right. I might actually just make a page on our website that is password like protected past, yeah. that has like you know the forty ish episodes that right. I'm guessing are very important to people. Like people will email me and be like, I just became a patron because I wanted to listen to the passive aggressive personality episode and I can't find it. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, what I want to be able to do is like say, yeah, the way that podcast feeds works, you know, it's like, do podcasts not have that many episodes? No, they're, I a don't pod- get it. They're a podcast. Uh, I listen to TBTL. They have like 2,500 episodes. And how do you access them all? You can't, that's you just, <laughs> but, but most, most podcasts, that uh, most podcasts that have uh, archival interesting c- content don't have a lot of episodes. You know what, what if I, mean? I made an app for us? Yeah, it just like like seriously like an oh. uh, like an iPhone or, or like an iPhone app to access our podcast. Well, Berto, you say such a thing, <laughs> but if you did that, that might solve all of our problems because like one that would be easily. Uh, navigatable and like programmable from right. pa- from a password side of things. Cause we right. wouldn't have to use WordPress and all that kind of stuff. Right. And we could completely control the amount of episodes. Right. right. And it's we could that, drop in other things as well, but, but everyone would have to get, we this. would still need to have the other stuff because, um, you know, discoverability for right. others. Yeah. The regular yeah. fetal exists yeah, yeah, yeah. always, but, yeah. but yeah. Well, let me think about it. Anyway. I've never written a podcast app, but I might be able to, yeah. I just wish that 
some coder would get off their ass and actually just change the settings. Yeah. It's like, it, there's no reason for it to be 300. Well, they get concerned about performance, but it's like, give me the choice. Yeah. And so, for example, the one we use has this thing where the default, I kid you not, is like 10 or 25 or 10. It's like really small. But then they give you this option to say, well, if you if you click the setting, it will optimize older ones. And I had already done this before. I had clicked the setting. But when I checked, I still had the max capped at 10, which clearly is not the case. So it must it must move past that cap. But then the max number I can type in is 300. So I did. I, I typed in 300 now, but that's still not enough. Right. We have 700 episodes yeah. plus anyway. So um, let's talk about, gra- oh no, other things. Uh, buy my book, Multicultural Clinical Supervision. I can't tell you I don't check the numbers every day, and I can't tell you that I'm a little bummed that no one bought it in the past week. So What? Buy, yeah, buy multicultural, multi-role clinical supervision. Multi-role. Since it is multi-role, shouldn't people buy multiple copies of it? Yeah, exactly. They, they become more powerful. <laughs> more. Um, also, we have our 10-year show coming up August 11, 2018 at North City Bistro. Although, I did... I was driving out Aurora, and there's this other place that was like, well, you know, for free, you can have your event here. So I was thinking about what? looking there, too. So we might look at another place. Why I don't free? Know. Do they serve alcohol or something? Yeah, it's a bar. Oh, okay. And so St. Andrews. I don't, oh, okay. you know, anyway, uh, so I'm not, I'm pretty sure it'll be North City Bistro, but the the whole, at 3 o'clock, and for those who are curious, so it's in Seattle or Shoreline, and what we do with these live shows is we have five to 10 minute segments yep. where we'll tell a story and then we'll do trivia and we'll give out swag. We'll sing a song. We'll do a gripe. We'll talk about our childhood. We'll do a slideshow. You know, it's like an Andy Kaufman special, right? We'll get people on the stage where they do like Pictionary. We'll, we'll maybe get the unpopular culture people. <laughs> we up. do the bit where I guess what people are thinking. <laughs> oh, I got another thing where, um, actually not a bad idea. I got another thing, you know, game to grow the Adam and Adam, the D and D therapy guys, uh-huh. they went to come on our live show and actually <gasps> do a, a mini adventure. Oh my God. That would be epic. Right. Literally. Yeah. Oh, I'm so down for that. Yeah. 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 Wow. We need to get props like a sword. And, yeah. And, uh, you could be like the bard or something. <laughs> the deformed, uh, dwarf. <laughs> oh God, this is going to be great. So one time, one time in band camp, no, one time many year, years ago, actually, holy crap. When I say many years ago, I just realized it was 1996. That's 22 years ago. Hmm. But in my mind, it's like five years ago. Anyways, one time I was playing D and D with a friend who was a, a veteran and then a total noob, total noob. And so we sat there and we rolled it's new characters. Tacoma. Uh, it was actually in, in college, so it was at UW. Oh, anyone I know? Yeah, uh, Eric okay. was the veteran. Oh. And then, you don't know the other person, but they were a noob. <laughs> and so, I didn't know Eric was a nerd like that. Oh, totally. We rolled characters, and I wanted to make it he hard. He should play dwarves all the time, especially when he had long, yeah, right, right. long hair. Well, I tried to make it harder myself, so uh, I don't actually think it was D&D now that I think about it, because I think it was a... Uh, it, Future? It, it, no, it was a different role-playing uh, system, okay. but it was very similar. So it was still... No, and it wasn't future. It was still uh, oh. fantasy-based. So I rolled a dwarf, and I, and I wanted to make him as strong, as powerful as possible. But to do that, I min-maxed, so I made it 
as ugly and uncharismatic as possible. Yeah. So it was like the most hideous thing. It was like a one, right? Like hideous and no charisma, but super strong, like ungodly strong, right? <laughs> so that was my character. But then it became really, really hard to role play because I was, so we were starting to role play and to stay real true to the character, every time I approached any one of the NPCs or my other player, because Eric was the, the dungeon master, they kind of had to recoil in horror, never do what I wanted them to do, always avoid me. So then I was like, oh, God, this is not turning out so well. <laughs> uh, that's funny. Uh, all right, so let's start off. So anyway, 10-year show, August 11, 2018, hoping that people come. If people don't come, uh, which is possible, I'm thinking like, yeah, live shows, maybe not a big thing. So... If you want us to have live shows in the future, uh, please show up. Yeah. Not, I won't like never have another show, but um, what I'm thinking is is that we'd have a show every year, you right. know, every anniversary. Uh, but that's only if people come. And if people don't come, then I'll just be like, oh, okay, cool. People like the podcast right. in a different way. Right, right, right. But, but I thought our last live show was it just... It blew expectations away. I mean, we talked about the podcast, but just a brief thing was there are... I don't know, five to 10 moments of my life that are positive that I'll remember. And that was one of them. Yeah. I mean, it was amazing. You and me on stage, just totally gelling. Yeah. Uh, like Magellan. Everything was coming up roses. Like things, <laughs> things were working. Like it felt good. There was love in the room. We were right. interacting with people, getting people up on stage. And then afterwards. Yeah. Getting to talk to everyone afterwards was amazing. Yeah. I mean, it was just like, this bliss out moment for yeah, me. It's you know? really good. Um, all right. Let's talk about a gripe. Do you have any gripes? Gripes, gripes. Yes, I do. Oh my gosh. So, um, I, I am glad I wasn't involved in this, but if I had been involved, I don't think I could have done anything useful. A good friend of mine. Was just, this sex? What? Was this sex? No, no. <laughs> A good that sounds funny. No, a good friend. That's, I don't know if I could have done anything. A good friend of mine just told me this happened uh, two weeks ago. Um, it's it's a smaller female, so uh, she's driving a car, and she is going the speed limit. Actually, she's going a little over the speed limit, and a dude in a huge truck, like those compensation trucks, mm. like huge truck behind her is riding her ass mm. like it's a porno, like a serious triple X scene. Mm. And she's like, okay, so then she tries to accelerate, but there's a car in front of her. So she actually can't, yeah. right? So she's like, okay, well, whatever. And eventually, oh, and it's a one lane thing. Now, eventually the lane turns to two lanes and then she basically gets over so the dude goes by. The dude goes by like, right? And then they stop at a sign, at a stop light. And the dude rolls down his window. And she rolls down her window. And he's like insulting her. Like, bitch, learn to drive. What the, whatever, right? Okay. She's like, I was going over the speed limit. And there was someone in front. I don't know why she's even explaining herself. But yeah. like, and there's someone in front. Like, and then the guy's just like flicking her off on all these things. And it, it's like, he's sowing the wrong. Sowing the wrong. Yeah. But. You know, and I'm like, and of course, A, she, she's a woman. B, he was apparently a huge dude, like huge truck, big dude, probably had a gun, like probably, right? Yeah. Like, what do you do? It's yeah. such a 
horrible moment to be in. And so I'm sitting there and as, as she's telling me the story, I'm getting angry. Yeah. I'm like, I'm getting angry. Oh my God. But then I'm, I'm trying to imagine, well, if I had been in the car, what would I have done? It's a tough one. I mean, I have done all the things. Yeah. Uh, I've yelled back. I've yeah. ignored them. Uh, I've been afraid. Um, I mean, I know what I would have done, but that's the part that's unhealthy. Is I, I actually, I would have gotten into it, like, because right. that's what I usually do, right? That's how I would get into trouble with well, these concerts and things, <laughs> right? So <laughs> later in life, though, I have come to a conclusion that. These people, because they they run all shapes and sizes. I I was in Ballard once and came to a. There's a four way stop kind of right off the main street. Yeah, on like twentieth or something. And um, I have a because everyone in Seattle is a very nice driver. I might have told this story in the podcast years ago. Um, whenever I get to a stop sign, if someone doesn't immediately oh, go, sure, I go. <laughs> I, because I don't want to stand there and look at someone right. and who's going to wait. Right. I just go because worst case scenario, we both go and then, and we're both kind of like nose into the, you know, yeah. and then, and then one, and then at that point, but that almost never happens. Right. Usually I blow through and, and someone might be slightly annoyed because it was their turn, <laughs> but, 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 but if it was yeah. not, why didn't you go? Like, right. Yeah, exactly. yeah. It's like, it's, you should be going like, right. you know, so, so I did, it got, got to a stop sign at the same time as another car, right. at my perception. And, and, and it's a stop sign. We're in Ballard. We're, this isn't, right. this isn't I five, you know what I mean? Right. And so I turned right and, um, and then there was a, immediately there was a stoplight at market and apparently the car that I had met at the stop sign at the same time got behind me. I didn't, I didn't notice cause it didn't really, right. you know, it didn't alarm me, you know, or I didn't think that the person would be upset. You know, it was just a normal kind of situation. This woman, short woman gets out of her car, comes up to my window, starts banging on my window saying, I don't know how to drive and calls me a chink. Wow. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Ballard. How aggressive. Seattle. And racist. Seattle. Yeah. And, I'm, I don't know if I've ever been called a chink. Yeah. I've been called other racist things. But, I've never been called a chink. <laughs> but, but a chink, you know, it's just like, I don't even know if that hurts my feelings. You know? um, so, uh, yeah, that, that happened That's about. That's crazy. Yeah, so I've come to, and I didn't say anything back because it's just like, it was so shocking. I'm like, it actually took me a while to figure out like, Oh, was she the person I saw at the stop sign? Right. Like, that's You're weird. Like, who is this like, why would you be that angry about that? So bizarre. So, the thing that I, uh, and meeting people and even sort of thinking about my own impulses and, um, and having clients and whatnot, I have come to the conclusion that there are a lot of people walking around with legitimate PTSD. Wow. They have one, either been traumatized in quote unquote traditional ways in war, sexual abuse, uh, physical abuse, yeah. um, uh, sexual assault, or they have been traumatized on the road. They have almost been cut off or they sure. themselves made a mistake and their distress level spikes and their brain encodes those situations as danger. Yeah. And when there are triggers, they have a reaction. Yeah. And if you're the sort of person to externalize, then you're going to, you're going to externalize it. Hmm. 
a lot of people internalize it. They start to cry. They start to shake. They get depressed. They go home and they complain about it. Right. But there's a whole other set of people who, for whatever reason, they, they, when they're, when they're freaking out and their heart rate is pumping and their adrenaline is pumping. And, you know, if, if we had someone who had been in war and saw their friend's head get blown off and, uh, loud noises were associated with that in helicopter sounds. And then we put that person at Microsoft and working and someone loves to set off fireworks next to him. <laughs> and then some, another person <laughs> likes to like uh, play videos of, of helicopters and the guy flips out and pushes his, the guy he gets up, you know, freaks out, has right. a, you know, legitimate PTSD meltdown, goes to the guy next door and pushes him down and says, will you stop with the fucking fireworks? Right. We would understand that. Right. The road is no different. <laughs> the road, ha- the road is not this magical place where everyone doesn't have problems. <laughs> right. You know, if, if anything, it's exacerbates. Right. It. Yeah. it makes it worse because it's so stressful. And so when these things happen, the narrative is, Oh, he's a douchebag. Yeah. But hearing everything you're saying, I see signs of he's, he's suffering, you know, he's yeah. scared. He has a big truck because he's scared of being run over. Right. He might ride people's asses because He's scared of, um, I don't know what, like he's just, he feels at odds with the world somehow. Well, actually, um, I I can sort of relate to this part. Uh, There is a feeling of claustrophobia when I'm in traffic and I can't move. Right. So I I suffer, I I suffer might be a strong word, but I feel feelings of claustrophobia. I think it's suffering. So whenever. So so if you ever get backed into a corner like that, you're going to, you're going to take some interesting measures to get out of it, right? So I actually, if it means stomping yeah. on another human being. I, I mean, I don't take it out like that, fortunately, but I actually get very, very uncomfortable in traffic. Right. And I know everyone does, but I mean, I feel that claustrophobia f- feeling. Like, I'm like, right. oh, I got to go somewhere. I don't, but many people do. Yeah. And, you know, you can imagine that if you don't have good coping skills or right. you're really sleep deprived or you have sort of compound traumas, you know, you're going to lash out. Yeah. There's going to be some issues. Right. You know? And if, and especially if it seems like one person is to blame, yeah, you know, it's, it's going to come out. And, and so Man. that's how I see it. So when, when some, and you know, occasionally people will be that way with me on the road. It's not very often, but, but, and I, I just look at them and go like, man, that person must just be in a in a world of trauma rea- reactions all the time, you know, and and the, how how scared they must yeah. be, how terrified they must. So, be. like fifteen years ago, like a long time ago, I was driving in a residential neighborhood in Seattle. I forget where, but it was like a nice neighborhood, and I was looking for a house, and I I don't know, I uh, couldn't find it or something. I noticed a car following me, and and like. Cars don't follow me. I don't feel like I'm being followed on general basis. But it was like, this car this car is now turning every time I turn. And they're like really close to me. Like, oh. And I kept, I'm like, what's going on? And it wasn't a cop or something, you know? And it was like, what? Okay. So I finally like pull over. Can I take a guess? Take a guess. The person you were trying to, the house you're trying to find or something? They, they knew. No, no, no. That would have been okay. No. This I pull over. This car pulls up next to me. Rolls down the window. It's this angry dude. But it, unlike the first story I told, this isn't some like. I'm, it was like this mild mannered looking residential neighborhood looking 
dude with glasses and like nothing threatening looking, but super angry. Yeah. And like, and he says something like, you didn't stop properly at the stoplight or at the stop sign yeah. blocks ago. Right. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, I'm so confused. I'm like, what? And so it took me a minute to process what the hell. And then I, I, I told him, I'm like, you, you do realize this is the kind of thing that if I were like, if I were crazy, like you would get shot. <laughs> like, I can't believe you followed me yeah. for several blocks to yell at me. Yeah. Anyways, and that was the end of it. He drove off in a huff. But I'm. Did, did you do something really? Probably. Nice like, maybe I didn't stop it or something. But, but it was so insane to me that someone would, like, follow me for blocks, yeah. aggressively pull up and yell at me. I have a similar story, then I'll tell my gripe. When I was. When I first got my license, when I was 16, yeah. I was so fascinated with driving a car. It was. Do you remember that? Oh remember? yeah, yeah. I just remember just oh being my like, "God, yes." So I can I can walk out my door and just drive anywhere. Yeah, it was you incredible. Know? It was the it was just this totally bizarre thing, you know. When 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 I was learning to drive, when you were learning to drive, every chance you got to like, oh, can I take the car around? I'll go take. You need me to go pick up the the Coca Cola, or you need me to totally. like I would any, volunteer for anything, any errand, right? <laughs> so so like maybe it was the first day I got my license. I just got in the family car and told my parents I'm going for a drive, <laughs> and I just started driving around. I just, I just would, I was just kind of exploring right. the the, plat, the Pine Lake Plateau, and I'm just driving all around. And then I got kind of like bored because I didn't, I didn't like um, just kind of randomly driving. Sure. And so I saw a car, and I said, "Well, I'll just follow that car." Oh God! <laughs> so, and it's late at night. It's like, oh no, you know, it's like ten, eleven at night. Whoops! <laughs> and so I just, so I just skip. I just casually get behind this car, and I, and I don't think anything because I don't. You're not doing it maliciously. <laughs> I'm not doing it maliciously, and I don't. Ha- I don't know that people would notice such a thing, right? You know, I was just sort of. You were a brand new driver. <laughs> yeah, I'm just sort of, and I'm not riding them. I'm just right. sort of. I'm taking the cue of where they're going as like, instead of me making a choice, I'm just following them. <laughs> and they're driving around the neighborhood. They're actually going over by Glover's house where he grew up. And, and all of a sudden, you know, so I'm just sort of kicking back, listening to the radio. All of a sudden the car in front of me just slams on their brakes. And so I immediately have to stop. Cause I'm like, Oh, right. And, or no, no, I didn't have to stop. Cause I was, too, I was far enough back. And they immediately slam. I see them up ahead. Okay, this is this is what. Yeah. I see them up ahead. They immediately slam on the brakes, and I'm still kind of gaining on them. Uh-huh. And everyone jumps out of the car. Oh no! And it's dudes that I know. Oh. And, and they're <laughs> which is lucky, I guess. <laughs> they're well. The story gets worse. Oh but no! They're sort of like the the neighborhood stoners. Oh. I know. I mean, they're friends of mine, yeah. kind of, but they're also kind of the paranoid ones <laughs> no not the yeah well they're just sort of the rough guys okay. you know and so i made this very instead of what i should have done was just stop behind them yeah and say it's just me i'm sorry i just got my license and i i wanted to follow someone i'm sorry it was you right you know haha ha. would it, they would have laughed it yeah. would, you know but I was taken by surprise so fast and I didn't know what to do that I just went around them. Okay. <laughs> and, you know, we all had eye contact. Oh, they saw who it was. Yeah. 
and you know so at first they jump out of the car and they're like they're they're like ready to fight right, right, you know right. and i drive past them and i just sort of wave and i'm like hey and, and in my head i'm like i'll just act like like nothing I, like i was going this way anyway uh, yeah. But but in my I was playing it back in my head and we weren't you know I think they took me on kind of a wild goose chase <laughs> to see if I was if I was falling right me. right and uh, so it was a very cringeworthy moment for me oh did they bring it up later did you talk about it with them no later? No. no I think I think I think they probably were maybe embarrassed that they jumped, that they out, of jumped the out of the car and I was embarrassed that I was falling I don't know that's hilarious dude. yeah okay I have a gripe so so I. Um, as a medical professional, I submit claims. And back in the day, all the claims were paper. And so I actually figured out a way. There was a form. It's sort of complicated, but I figured out a way to make my claims submission process extremely streamlined so that I could could very quickly... Um, I had these templates that I would mm. create for each client, and then I would just change the dates and the codes and stuff. And and it was very fast. Printed out. Uh, there were only a few insurance companies that I worked with. Like you'd pick up randomly a mental disease from a hat, paste it on, mail it out. Exactly. No, I just use the same diagnosis. <laughs> no, just joking. Um, I had a, I had the claims process all, all streamlined, and so it was very very. It was relatively quick. Well. One of the insurance carriers, and in all of them eventually started allowing you to do them online, right? Okay. Well, one of them, one of the major ones, Regents in the area, it's the Blue Shield in, yeah. in Washington. They shifted to you have to submit them online, which most hospitals love because right. they love it automated, it's faster. They don't want to print out, you know, sure. handwrite, blah blah blah. But for me, I have so few claims, it actually is faster for me to do it that way. And you had a system. And I had a system. Well, so there's this, There's this. Uh, I think it's a third party that that um, contracts with many different insurance companies, and it's called Availty. Okay. It's like, you know, I think they want to be like the Amazon of claims or something. <laughs> okay. And so not only... So the, um, my gripe is about their password system. Oh, okay. So, you know, I'm a, I have I have accounts in a lot of sensitive areas. You sure. know, like I have account like you know my Gmail account's pretty sensitive. Well, I thought like on your body, like sensitive areas on your body. I, I have accounts where other medical needs. You know, this is the only website that has the most like complicated, most rigorous password <laughs> system. So not only is it 10 characters instead of eight, which is always annoying, <laughs> but fine. But, you know, because cause I have certain standard uh, passwords that I use. So for, you can remember them. So I can remember them. I change them, you know, but, right. but I don't want to have to have a special, but, you know, so anyway, so, okay, 10, whatever. But you have to use, you know, a capital. You can't, right. you know, you, you have to use like a symbol. But here, and, and, and that would be, that would be okay too. Cause you know, my browser will remember a password, you know, so it's not, it's not a huge deal, but here's the thing. Every, I don't know, three weeks, they require everyone to change their passwords. Every three weeks? Maybe a month. Oh my God. So I have changed, I've had to change there. I, I submit, <laughs> I submit claims probably once every five weeks. And every single time... You have to change your password. But so what I did was I, se I started oh setting a thing in my calendar, log into Availty so that... Because if you wait too long, 
they say it's been too long since you logged in. You have to change your password. Oh, I see. So if if you if you're logging in regularly, it's longer. That's what I thought. No. Oh, they still make you change it. Oh, so they just make you change it more frequently if you don't. But the thing is, is like people like me, private practitioners, we don't do we don't do daily things. Yeah, Yeah. like uh, anyway, and you can't use an old password. Oh right, of course you got. So have a new- every essentially, my gripe here is every month. <laughs> every month, I have to make Come up a, with a brand new password, a brand new password, and find some way of documenting it because I can't remember it in my head. And by the way, how silly is it? Because you can't use it again, anyways. Because you're gonna have to change it. I mean, you'll use it again to t- to be told you you got to change it. Right. <laughs> right. So <laughs> so you only use it twice. <laughs> yeah. So for me, I use every new every new password. I use twice. Once for real, and once to to get into to change it you know oh my god so that's my gripe anyway that sounds extremely annoying uh let's end with this email from patron natasha she writes hey kirk i've wondered for a few years now why there isn't a lord of the rings episode umberto would probably be up for it i'll be up for it not the hobbit though because those just feel like peter jackson milking a fairly oh wait are we talking about the movies i guess so oh i see she also says Michael Scott from The Office is also pretty fascinating. He appears so dumb and aloof, but I always felt it was a way of disguising his insecurities. Though Does she mean David Brent? I don't understand. Michael Scott? I'm just kidding. I, I'm being a, a, a UK office snob. Ah. Though the fandom for the show has obviously cooled since it ended a while ago. So I just thought we would talk a little about Lord of the Rings and Michael Scott. Sure. Uh, what did you think of Lord of the Rings? The movies. Okay. Um, well, actually, um, I, I found the movies more engaging than, than quite a bit of the books because the books tend to meander and Absolutely. they over describe yeah. and they have these songs about crossing the rivers. Yeah. By the way, did I ever tell you about the Lord of the Rings, the musical? No. Oh my God. Okay. So in 2008, I went to London, to England, and I was chaperoning some kids. And it was an amazing trip overall. But we unfortunately let the kids vote on what show we should go see. And the options were Spamalot, which I wanted to see so much. Which makes no sense. You're in England. Right. Or Lord of the Rings, the musical. They voted on Lord of the Rings, the musical. Was it a comedy? No. Oh. It was Lord of the Rings, the musical. Like serious. Serious. So we go to Lord of the Rings, the musical, and I'm thinking, okay. Now, first of all, let me say the set was unbelievable. It was amazing. They spent like $3 million on the set. But here's the first sign of trouble. The show had been open for, I think, three months, and they were on their third cast. Oh. Yes. The show starts. Think about this. In a musical, you want uh, good singing, right? You want... But when your protagonists are hobbits... Right. The singing is done in voices like this. Oh, no. And the songs from the books to be true to the story. Oh, no. So it's literally like, and we cross the rivers and the mountains. And then they finally get to the elf. The elf can sing well. So the elf is like, I can sing really well because I'm the elf. And then you get to Gollum. Gollum, by this point, by the way, I am, I am in 
such pain. I'm in this uncomfortable seat trying to sleep because I'm bored to tears. This thing was like two and a half hours long, right? I'm sitting there bored to tears trying to fall asleep and I can't because of this overwhelmingly terrible sounding stuff. Is there any comedy? No, it's serious. And Gollum starts singing. Everyone's seen the movies. You don't need to... No, dude, it was horrible. You know what I mean? Like Horrible. You need to riff on it somehow. Can you imagine Gollum singing? Just think about that. The precious I want it in my hand. I mean, it's like so bad. Who who is the character in Lord of the Rings that you thought I really want to see that character singing? Yeah, Galadriel, maybe. In fact, I think she was the only good singer. Yeah, you don't want Legolas singing. Arwen, Aragorn seems like he's. I'm Aragorn, so proud and brave. Anyways, horrible. But back to the the movies. Uh, I loved the movies. I was enthralled by the action and, and I had just read, so I was trying to read the books ahead of the movies so that I could kind of, you know, n- be up to date, so to speak. And uh, I had only ever read The Hobbit, so I had never read the, the actual Lord of the Rings books. Um, and I was so happy because they actually kept to the action parts. I'm sure that Lord of the Rings nerds might have objected to a whole bunch of things they changed or whatever. But for me, I, I, I loved it. And I thought Legolas was a badass. I thought Aragorn was, everyone was a badass. The fight sequences were amazing. The orcs were really cool looking. The, the wraiths, the scene where he puts on the ring, all that stuff was really cool. I had a trouble. I, the only problem I had, the only big complaint I had was that just like the books, the last like 30 minutes of the last movie is super slow and boring. <laughs> right. Yeah, I loved it too. I loved it so much that I think I talked about this on a previous podcast. I had, because uh, the DVDs would always come out around Christmas around the same time that the next movie would come out. Oh, right, yeah. So, like, in December, I would see the next movie, and then I would ask for Christmas... To get the DVD. The the extended (laughs) version DVDs. Did that have, like, documentary or... Right. Did we talk about this in the podcast? I don't think so. Uh, I was talking about this with someone. But anyway, each... We've we've probably talked about everything on the podcast at least twice. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. So, the, the extended version DVD set was four DVDs. So wow, the, the movie the movie was two DVDs, and then and then the other no, then the other two DVDs were featurettes and documentaries, right. and each um, of the oh, and, so like even the movie didn't fit in one DVD, right? And wow, the the extended version, which was usually like three and a half hours, something like that, they had multiple uh, uh, commentaries. They had mm. one with Peter Jackson and oh and, and the writers. They had one with a different. Did you watch all of them? Yeah. Oh wow! Multiple times. Like I I was so in love with these movies. Yeah. Uh, because as a kid, I tried to. I obviously read the Hobbit a bunch of times, but I and I tried to read the Lord, Lord of the Rings, Rings kind of. So thick. But I definitely watched all the cartoons, and I definitely lived in the world. I mean, D- yeah, Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. Dungeons and Dragons is was, you know... Heavily. Yeah, it was basically just trying to recreate yeah. Lord of the Rings. And seeing... what the, the wonderful thing about the movies was there were a lot of things when I read the books that didn't make sense to me. You know what I mean? Because yeah. he doesn't explain things very well. And so 
I, f- I finally felt like I got the full story <laughs> right. for the first time. Right. No, that would be so hard to get as a kid yeah. in a book format. Yeah. My parents oh, my wanted God. me to read it when I was in the fifth grade, you know, and I, I just, it was hard. Anyway. I, mean, I read Dark Crystal when I was in fifth grade, you yeah. know, that was the, I, I actually, I always thought that Dark Crystal was a book and then they made a movie. Turns out the book was after the movie. It was oh, yeah. a, a It's always funny movie. when they do, they take the movie yeah. like, um, so... I loved it. Now, having said all that, when I see scenes now and I think about certain elements of those mm-hmm. movies, yeah. I I don't know if I would actually want to watch those movies again. I see. Cuz the way that Peter Jackson directs, it's so horry, you know, like mm. the the Yeah, right. That's his roots. Right. That he zooms in on your face, you know. Yes. And is it secret? Yeah. Is it safe? Yeah, exactly. And I you know, I don't know why. I loved these movies. Like I uh-huh. loved them. And everyone loved them. Return of the King got an Oscar for crying out loud. Oh did it? I think wow. it won Best Picture. Holy crap. <laughs> if I remember right. And and so I yeah, I saw them in the theater multiple times. Um, I remember one time I saw it in South Center, and the sound system was terrible. It kept kind of like, uh, oh no, uh, I hate over- when that happens. Overloading. But I, when I was as I was watching, I was like, well, I'm going to see it a few more times at the theater. I, <laughs> I don't care. You know I mean? um, but For the longest time, the Crossroads Theater had a blown subwoofer. Yeah, this was like in the early 2000s, and it drove me nuts because every yeah. movie would be. Like, yeah, it's like just, just. <laughs> It's like just starting the whole, just unplug the goddamn thing. Um, but you know, so I find that you know, can you relate to that? Like, because the, the whole to which part the, the farting part. The farting part. Can you relate to that subwoofer? No, to, to you know the Legolas thing. I don't think I could watch the movie. Maybe you know what I think it might be is. Wait. But because are you are you thinking now? Is it tainted because of the Hobbit? Right. Like I think okay. the Hobbit showed everything bad about Peter Jackson. Yeah, I and, think you're right. And their adaptation that it illuminated a bunch of bad things about huh. the, you know Lord of the Rings. But okay, I I guess it, I've only seen him back then, so maybe I'm wrong. But I felt because one of the reasons I I didn't like the Hobbit so much the movie was that before I felt that, and just like the books actually everyone's powers were not overused or overstated. And, and whereas in freaking the Hobbit, Legolas is a ninja, you but know? he kind of was a ninja in the, in the first movies too, you know, like he, but, but he, it was like, cause he, you know, he, yes. Oh, maybe, maybe, you I know mean, what? Maybe by the third movie, yeah. he's more like that. That's right, true. That's right. true. Yeah. I guess in the second movie, he skateboards on a shield down the stairs that one time, Oh, um, which was not that great. But it was in the midst of a really epic battle at yeah. Helm's Deep. But, but yeah, when he skates down the the trunk of a of a you oh, know, that's in the third one, right? Yeah, yeah, that's true. You're right. Okay, I, I guess that's probably where it started getting like that. Um, it was weird though, because if he had had the skills in the first movie that he had in The Hobbit, which was like 50 years earlier, yeah. they wouldn't have needed to uh, yeah. <laughs> do anything. Yeah, yeah, he was he was like a god. Yeah, it was, it was so... And seeing The Hobbit movies, I, I... Every time I saw them, I convinced myself, like you did with Phantom Menace, that I liked them. Okay. And it took me actually, maybe even a couple years later, to, okay. to realize that they were shit. You know, I could only... I only saw the first one. 
Oh. I, I, I didn't like it so much that I did not watch the other two. The other two are awful. Yeah. And it sucks because I loved The Hobbit as a the, kid. There are good scenes. Like, honestly, I, want, I bet you someone's done this. Like, take, Cut out all the bullshit? Yeah, take the three movies. Uh-huh. Take, keep only the stuff that's from the actual book. Get rid of Legolas and his god right. powers. Um, I bet you you could actually piece together kind of a good movie. But part of the problem also is that in the book, the the Battle of the Five Armies doesn't really... It's interesting in the book, but it doesn't really play out well in movie screen. Because no. it, it no. doesn't really have a lot of... Because, like, in the book, you're like, oh, my God, you know, this, this like, it's like this whole other situation happens at yeah. the end that you didn't think was going to. In the movies, it's like, why is this happening? Like, right. You know, it's it seems doesn't make a lot of sense. Well, I, I was very annoyed when I found out it was going to be a trilogy because it's such an obvious money grab, right? Yeah. Because the book is tiny compared to even one of the Lord of the Rings books. Right. And it's a fine story. Yeah. And they... They added like all these characters and, right. and all this like other storyline. They just they just invented. Do you remember all the stuff? cartoon version of the Hobbit? Absolutely, I love that. Oh, it's oh, so, so bad though. It's like oh, but it was like as a kid, I oh, loved yeah. it. Yeah, I loved absolutely. It. I've watched it hundreds of times. Yeah. So the reason why I haven't done an episode on Lord of the Rings is I can't really think of a psychological angle. But uh, and and listeners, let me know. It, what you think about that? Because sometimes we do, like we did Ready Player One recently, and there's not really a huge psychological angle to that, or at least I didn't really focus on it. And so sometimes it's like we're so excited about something that just came out that's nerdy. It's like we'll do an episode on it, sure. even even just just because we want to talk about it. You know, but, but like with Lord of the Rings, one interesting thing is that uh, the framing of the society around when the time he wrote it, right? Because there's all these. You know, there's Nazis in there. You know, there's there's like well, war. There's more, more uh, World War uh, World War One. Sorry, I guess not Nazis. You're right, but there's war. There's World War One. There's there's uh, looming threats. So and there's a lot of universal themes of yeah. good and evil. And yeah, and, but I I just don't know if if it really sustains an entire episode. So the thing is, is that I want to know from the listeners is. Do you want us just to nerd out on Lord of the Rings because we can do that, you know? But I, I just don't know if it's worth it, you know. Like we nerd out on on Game of Thrones sometimes, so it just seems like it would open a Pandora's box because there's so many things I want to nerd out on, and it, that you know, like I was thinking. I want to do a whole episode on Stanley Kubrick movies, you know. That, but that's so. Those are very psychological. Too. Or or Zemeckis movies, you know, or Spielberg movies, or you know, Emma Stone movies, or something. We you could know? do an offshoot, like an offshoot set of podcasts that are all movies. Yeah, I, I don't. I never. <laughs> I other people do that. I, I always, I always like ah, offshoot, some offshoot. <laughs> too lazy for that. Anyway. Um, but there are some psychological angles to Lord of the Rings. For example, friendship is like the central theme of Tolkien's writing and, and the movies, the Lord of the Rings movies anyway, keep, you know, they hold to that. You definitely, the, every movie basically begins and ends with Frodo and Sam's friendship. Right. I, I, another thing that I, I didn't get until actually kind of recently, I, I, uh, a couple of years ago, I started listening to the Similar Alien. Oh. 
and started learning all this other lore and things like that. And then since then, I've seen a ton of analysis mo- uh, videos on YouTube about various Lord of the Rings things. There's this whole channel that does really great, like, in-depth analyses of all the characters right. and things. That's another thing. It's like, do we really need to be doing that when no, other no, podcasts no, no. are doing it so well? You know? Right. But, but what I was thinking was, um, so one aspect that when – I, when I was a kid and I read The Hobbit – I thought, oh, okay, so Dumbledore, uh, Dumbledore. <laughs> so uh, Gandalf is like, he's a wizard, obviously. It seems like he's got lightning powers, and he seems like, so I was trying to, like, box him into my modern idea of wizards, right? Like, what, what's his powers? Like, what's his power set? But, but Tolkien never intended it that way, and l- definitely in The Lord of the Rings, that's really evident. But it's kind of hard to miss, or it's easy to miss, because uh, we now have, like, a decades and decades later understanding of what we think of as wizards and all these things. Right. But the power that Dumbledore had was the power to like convince and rally people to a cause. Yeah. And that's such an interesting thing because ultimately what Dumbledore was, was a conscience. And it was like this voice, almost a voice inside of, of the Hobbit's head that got brought out the best of them and moved them in the right direction. So it was like a, a very much like a, um, uh, so, sort of um, the good, the good angel, bad angel, but in this case, it was the con- yeah, it gave him the confidence that they didn't otherwise have. Right, that was his ultimate power. It wasn't, you know, sure he thou shalt not perish, but other than that, like you never actually see him like shooting lasers out of his fingers and all these kinds of things. Right, uh, <laughs> uh, he was a badass with a sword. Yes, he could catch pine cones on fire and throw them at wolves. Yes, right. Uh, but yeah, in general, he could come back from the from the dead. He couldn't do wall of fire, for example. Well, <laughs> it was always very unclear, right? Yeah. And, and Tolkien kept it that way. Like yeah. there were the five wizards, and they all had powers. Yeah. Like Saruman seemingly had powers, right? But it was very unclear what it was, and I loved that. That that you know, it, right. Saruman and and Gandalf had a had a wizard battle. That's right. Um, well, like even the power of the rings. Like it, yeah. it, it's so such advanced writing because right. you cannot say, oh, there's a hole there because you said that the ring could do this, but it didn't do that in this case. Right. It was just like it was like it's the power to control, it's the power to influence, it's the power to do this, like, and or so, not, you know, yeah. and, and and the the where Tolkien came from was he was such an avid nerd about history yeah. that he wrote his books creating a experience for the reader that was similar to reading history. Because right. like when you read about the Druids, for example, right. they couldn't, you know, shoot lightning or anything. They but they but they had powers, you know, and they were mysterious and we'll never really know. Right. You know? And so he created a world because that's what he wanted to do. That that was his stated mission what in creating those books was he was sort of interested in, in entertaining a crowd, but he was mostly interested in creating his own world. Yeah. And, and he had already created the world, but he just needed to write a book about right. it. Because Which made it, just like Harry Potter, and I'm not saying they're equivalent, but what I'm saying is that the Harry Potter books feel like they, they're windows into a much broader world that she created. Because oh. you hear these little names and characters that only play small little moments, but you're like, oh... So there's a whole thing, right? Similar right. with Game of Thrones, like exactly. They're they're relatively sh- not that many words, right. you know. They're, the books are pretty long, but but 
the amount of in the in passing he will mention things and when right. you piece it all together it's massive it's, it's just it's massive. A, it's a it is a universe it's just a huge yeah. massive yeah other angles are the meaning of royalty it took me until watching the crown a couple years ago <laughs> to finally understand the whole notion of the return of the king oh, like yeah. One of the central, so you have the main central theme of Frodo and the Ring getting it to the Mount, Mount Doom, right? And that the other, the, the other main theme is uh, Aragorn's retaking of the throne in Gondor, right? And that never made any sense to me. I, was, I was that a big deal? <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I'm like, who cares? And and, and uh, you know, uh, you know, what's like, what does it matter? Right. Uh, so he, his father was, he, he comes from a line of kings that... Just give someone else a shot. <laughs> yeah, just make someone else the goddamn king. You know, but after watching The Crown, uh, because America doesn't have that culture, no. you know, we elect... No, we clearly elect people that have no relationship to each other. <laughs> well, we, you know, we might do a little bit of that, but, but... And we def, but we definitely don't think of these individuals or these lines of of um, of presidents as guarantees. They're not guarantees, or as touched by God. You know, like like well, that's how well it, yeah. you until know, recently sovereign <laughs> of God. You know, yeah. it's a whole thing in in yeah. other cultures, namely British culture, of th- that the royals are. You, you believe you believe in the magic and have and and going to London and going to the Tower of London and going you know and going to Buckingham Palace and all this stuff. I I now understand and can kind of almost feel it myself the the magical feeling. It's like a a real life uh, you know King Arthur kind yeah. of thing. It's a it's a real life it's a real life Return of the King, Lord of the Rings. It it you, you just get kind of and as long as the royals act in good ways you just want them to be elevated it just feels good you know right? even though they're normal human beings. Just, yeah, they're just regular dudes and women you know and 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 so um it took me a long time to understand because again lord of the rings arguably the main story within the world is about aragorn and it, i just never understood that until recently the other thing that i didn't really understand is the whole relationship between Frodo and Sam in the books, it's much more clear that Sam's a servant. By the yeah, way, right in the in the movies, they are clearly just buddies. They're buddies. He's a little less refined than Frodo, right? But you know, he's just he's a buddy. They're romantically interested buddies. <laughs> yeah. In the books, it's clear that Sam's the servant. Yeah. Sam carries more shit. He right. is the lower class. He lives in the valley. Frodo lives up top. Right, he's right, right. rich, and. And Sam is, oh, you know, master, you know, what should, you know, right. what should I do? How can I please master? You know? <laughs> it's not that overt, but, it, you know, it's pretty. Yeah, it's along those lines. And that never I got either. I was just like, why would, why right. would Sam, you know, he, and, and the dedication that Sam feels like throughout the book of like, he's not just a friend, but something almost deeper is like he is right. his servant. And in a similar way that, you had Bushido code where you had samurai who would serve the master. Right. There, there's a beauty of duty, you know? Yep. And, and in a, in the United States, we don't like duty. We don't like to be, we don't like uh, to assign people with boxes of, 
of, of duty of duty right <laughs> you know we like to be free we like to be the top of our own yeah. pyramid you know we like to think we are we don't like to serve so why would you want to serve somebody you know right. whereas there are other you know cultures where the act of serving is noble you know it's right. a big deal to be the king's servant you are you know you're you're better that you're considered better than most people on the planet right. you know you're not a servant you're a servant of to be uh batman's butler is amazing <laughs> right right that whole thing right so the the whole culture and idea around sam and his dedication to frodo and the beauty of that do you know yeah. and the beauty of frodo receiving that well you know the the receiving of a servant and right. treating them well so to speak you know like that whole thing was lost on me until recently. Do you think the there was some amount of racism in the Lord of the Rings? Um, well, it's sort of a theme, right? Because the dwarves and the elves hate each other, yeah, and have long-standing ethnic feuds. Yeah, I was thinking more in terms of the orcs. Like the orcs seem to be the dark-skinned, yeah. Beasts from the south. Well, they're from the east. Or from the east. Oh, yeah, from the but, east. But right. there's a different group from the south, which is like Middle Eastern, and definitely they're the, right. they're the other, right? Right. Um, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. But, I, but think, I wonder if you meant it that way or if it was just... But the analogy would be that uh, the orcs were, were Germans. Yeah, you know? right. So... Yeah. You know, because that that that's, was that's that's right. I mean, that was the I, I, horde. I you know, the the threat in World War One was this horde of Germans, right, uh, invading the West, yeah. and they just kept coming, and they were they were mechanized. You know, right. they they didn't care about the glory of war anymore. They were they were of a new class of mechanized yeah. machine gun. Uh, drab uniforms, you know, and he came from a tradition of like glory and war and sort of like rules of engagement right. that that didn't involve slaughtering, you know. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, because I, I never saw it as as a racist thing, but uh, recently, as as I've been looking at all these videos in the last couple of years, I do also run across like social commentary, but maybe it's just trying to look too much into it. You absolutely can make an argument for it, uh, but, but what you're saying makes more sense. Yeah, you know, uh, well, people are saying that orcs are black people or something. Yeah, I, I, I don't, or that, like Muslims or something. I, does, I mean, maybe I suppose, but I, I don't think that was his intention. Yeah. But there are Muslim equivalents in the books and the movies right. that you can make right. an argument was you know racist. Um, but I don't know. I feel like Tolkien did a good enough job getting away from the actual world enough because it's like, what's the analogy? Right. I mean, I guess there are analogies like the hobbits are like common English folk, you know? Yeah. Folk who well, live. And of and course, the- he wasn't Spanish, but there was part of the reason there was, there was some amount of in Spanish, Spain, like folklore, right? Uh, they had this thing where they had to fend off from the Moors for ages, right? And so I think there was a lot of racism, latent racism there, right? Uh, or, or feelings against the, the foreign invading hordes. Now, granted, they did the same thing over in, in the Americas, but like to them, it was like, oh, we got all these darker skinned people invading our southern shores. And so in Spain, like that was the thing. <laughs> 
I mean, you could, I don't know about the orcs thing, but you definitely can point to the elves are fair-skinned, tall. They're basically Aryans, yeah. you know? And then you had the hobbits who were the common folk who right. were the farmers. And the and then you had the dwarves who were more like um, lower class, working class people, I suppose you could make it an analogy. Well, so, so there's some people who say that they're Jewish because oh. they're obsessed with gold. Okay. And they're, you know, but I, again, like... How much of this is people just slapping their but, own... Well, the other thing is, is he really loved the dwarves, you know? Yeah, right. He, the, in the movies, in fact, the dwarves come across much less sympathetic, you know? Well, not only that, like, in The Hobbit, all the protagonists, except for a couple, are dwarves. <laughs> right. Yeah, they're like, they're, they're wonderful, great. Right. They're almost, to me, kind of a shade off from... Hobbits in yeah. some ways. Anyway, other other things in the movies you could point to in terms of psychology is the cor- the corruption of power. Right, is a major theme uh, throughout the Lord of the Rings books, um, and also a major theme is power to the people. Power to it's sort of a de- democratic notion, you know, a Western idea of like right. um, benevolent leaders and and li- and kind of a democracy. And it's, mm-hmm. it's funny to say that, but there's sort of a a, de- a democratic feel to the idea of like the fellowship of the ring and right, people right. working together and no one seeking power. And, and actually in that case, it was racist coming together, right? Cause like yeah. it was all of them had to work together. Yeah. But where was the Asian? <laughs> well, aren't like, well, see, I, I always thought of the elves as like sort of Asian. <laughs> they're more into the Buddhist kind of things and they're more martial arty. And <laughs> I don't think Asians were on his radar, honestly enough. Um, and to be clear, Tolkien was pulling from themes in actual folklore of England. He wanted, he he was, maybe people know this, but he was jealous that other cultures had a mythology. Yeah. Like you had Greek mythology, you had... Oh, interesting. You had a Polish mythology, you had Native American <sighs> mythology. He and, was just a little too late. <laughs> and, and England, he would, he said didn't really have a mythology. Right. We, they didn't have these old folky stories that that people would tell over a campfire. And he, he wanted to create a mythology. a mythology. And he did, my God. Yeah. I mean, you don't get any better than the proliferation of his of his culture throughout our society. It just, it just was he invented for it too. For, he massively pushed fantasy genre forward. Totally. It was just too he was too late in 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 civilization for it to become treated as real. I don't I don't think he was like Scientology trying to totally, create, yeah. I, but I think he in his head he's just like ah yeah. so so he pulled from actual English or British mm-hmm. fairy tales right. to create a cohesive mythology, you know. That it wasn't sense. like he he didn't invent them. He just yeah. sort of, you know, there was a there was a Gandalf there's actually I have a I have an annotated Hobbit book. Uh-huh. And so the and so every paragraph and sometimes every sentence there will be like a couple pages explaining the culture and what went on behind the scenes of that paragraph. Oh and so there's so there's this whole thing about like where the character of Gandalf might have come from and the right. artwork and and Tolkien himself in interviews would talk about where he got that character from and what the whole idea was. Right. Anyway. So Let's end with Michael Scott. Um, what do you think about his personality? Uh, so Michael Scott is wants everyone to like him. Like he um, 
he sees himself as a buddy comedian boss first. Did you watch all the episodes? Yeah, I watched the whole series. Yeah. I I loved that show. When it first came on, I the English one I loved too uh, deeply. And then when the American one came on, I I sort of liked it, but and it's, I really liked the beginning and then I sort of got tired of it and then when they came all out on Netflix or whatever, yeah. I kind of started over. And when you can watch every episode <laughs> like back to back, yeah. It's a very enjoyable experience. For me, it definitely... Like, there was a middle part of that series that meandered. Uh, not that it... I mean, it's, meandered is funny to say because it's, it's not like like Walking Dead or something. But right. but it, it it did lose some appeal for me, I'd say, mid-seasons. But I enjoyed well, they, a they lot start, of it. They started doing all these, like, romantic right, connections. Right, right. Like and, with and they Dwight. got a little wacky. But, you know, they had to because what are you going to do? But overall, it was a good series. Yeah. And there were... Some of the episodes were ridiculously funny. Yeah. And yeah. touching, too. Yeah, like, they, touching, they kept yeah. the characters going. So, Michael Scott was, essentially, he saw himself uh, as, like, I want everyone to like me, right? Like, it's not so much that I'm your boss. I just, I want to be liked. I want to be loved. You know, and that was his thing. And so, every, every interaction was him trying to be, like, like friend. he wanted to be friends with everyone and everything had to. But, but in addition to that, he was certainly a bit of a narcissist, you know, like everything revolved around him. Um, and the, he, he obviously wouldn't pay attention. He would massively disregard problems if they didn't involve him or, or affect him. You right, know, right. there are many episodes where like someone's having a severe situation and he's like over here because what he cares about is, is being affected. Right. Yeah. Good description. Uh, terribly insecure. Uh, which I think is the genesis of his narcissism. It's it's not terribly destructive narcissism in the way that we might talk about in other people. Um, deep down, he's a good person, but his insecurity kind of makes him narcissistic. He, he also, again, really wants people to like him, which in my world we would call preoccupied attachment. Um, he spends a lot of time, a lot of effort trying to make everyone like him, particularly certain people, except for um, the guy in HR. So I used to, yeah, I used to, um, I didn't see it at the time, but around the time that The Office came out, especially the UK office, that is sort of how I was. Like a lot of my personality was very similar to David Brent. So I remember feeling a few years later as I would watch it, I'm like, oh, I'm sort of like this guy a little bit. <laughs> really? Yeah. At work? Uh, yeah, because because I, I thought incorrectly that that, oh, you know, I mean, I didn't say this literally in my head, but I, it was obvious that a lot of times I would operate trying to be friends with everyone and trying to get everyone to like me. Uh. I, was, I was nowhere near the, uh, like, yeah. chaotic narcissist of, like, a Michael Scott or something. But, like, uh, but, but it, was, it was more about, like, okay, what can I do to make sure that both sides are happy and both sides like me, you know? Yeah, it's very Michael Scott. Yeah. Um, I, I think you can also say that, Michael Scott grows and matures through the seasons. He right. learn. I think he kind of learns from his mistakes and becomes better able to have relationships and, right. and better able to not be so narcissistic. Yeah. Um, also, you can absolutely point to him being privileged and, and not knowing about it. Uh, you know, I think it's episode two in which he does like a, a cultural sensitivity seminar that he runs or something. Yes. Everyone needs to 
show what they are. Okay, you're the gay one, and yes. you're or whatever. The, and, and everyone had to wear their little signs on their forehead. Right. <laughs> and it, it's it, it's a very common privileged... He does a lot of common... And that's the whole idea that the writers are getting at, is, right. is he, he, he wants to help, but he's so privileged, he doesn't understand that the way that his his impulse is to help is actually just furthering the oppression of, of these right. people. And if you recall, the reason he even does that is because he feels threatened because there was this expert that came to do a... Because remember, he did something offensive. I don't and remember. And so they had to... So the whole thing starts with he does something culturally offensive. I forget what it was. He does something culturally offensive. So Jan finds out. And so he has to have this expert come in to give them oh, a yeah. cultural sensitivity thing. And he's so upset about this because first of all he starts to run the seminar himself yeah because he's like well i'm the expert i'm an expert why i don't we don't need another expert i'm the expert yeah yeah and so then he runs his own seminar but by the way a lot of that first season was copied from the uk one totally and they started diverging more which i think was to their benefit because even though i love the uk one and, and in fact i i liked it better but i didn't feel like all of the themes worked well in the American version. So right. I was happy to see them start going their own way. Right. I mean, in the American version, I don't, you know, I don't know why maybe the cast or just the writing or whatever, they wanted to make it, I think a little bit more relatable to regular people. Cause the, the original, the off the British office is kind of particular. And I, and I, I don't think it, it has a, a wide appeal. Like the character of what's his name, David, David Brent. He he is um, really hard to like. Whereas yeah. Michael Scott, they tried to make him more likable. Right, exactly. So David Brent only becomes you. You finally see. Oh, okay. I see how he's just. <laughs> I see how he's just got some issues, but he could come out of the the woods. You only see that in the very end of the series, in the Christmas episode. Hmm. But but in the in the normal series. He's just a jerk, you know? Yeah, and, and he's in that vein of, like, really wanting people to like you, but yeah. he's just so, like, always on, you know, whereas Michael Scott has some relief right. in that. And, and if you'll recall, he's actually also, especially nowadays, this wouldn't, probably wouldn't be able to do this. He was very aggressive towards the females, very uh, uh, using his position of power, like, all right. that stuff, like, right. constantly. He, he... He does a lot more it's a, things. It's, a, it's hilarious. And, no, it is hilarious. But I don't absolutely. think it appeals to a wider audience. Right. And, and so I think you're right. Like the Michael Scott character is more likable ultimately. Right, right. Um, yeah. Okay. So I, I thought I would just end with uh, everything that I've seen lately. Uh, I watched A Quiet Place. Speaking of... Oh, my God. I got to see that. Speaking of John Hammond. Krasinski. Yeah. Um, I gave it an eight. I could have given it a nine. It it was pretty good. Uh, Everyone's raving. I, I don't know, it. seven to nine. I gave it an eight. It's it's really good. It's a very, very good action. Okay. Sort of mild horror. Like, um, is it like what was that movie that I really liked? The uh, it comes at night. I don't know, but it it's not. I wouldn't call it horror. It's just very effective, uh, small scale. Uh, action, you know, it's basically just this family, right? And um, it's kind of a sense. shorter movie too. Like it's not; it's only an hour and a half. Oh, really? Yeah, wow. and um, huh. it doesn't it doesn't get out of hand. Like it does. Like it doesn't cross the yeah. 
It's 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 just a really. I mean, as a there were points toward the end where I was like, okay, I get it. Like they because there's these little clues that keep kind of dropping in in terms of like telling us where it's headed, and I'm like, and I was like, oh, okay, I see that. Okay, I saw you do it again. Well, okay, now I really because, see the hints. You know, it's funny like, because you you normally you've said that you normally don't easily pick up on. Well, those, it's not these it's must not really it's not hints, obvious. not those kinds of hints, but hints about like essentially they're trying to figure out a, a solution to a problem. I see. And early in the movie, I'm like, oh, maybe it's on along those lines. You know, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, you're right. Normally, anyway, the point is, is like they're that, that was obvious. that was my only complaint. Yeah. But yeah, very touching there's there's like really sad it, and it doesn't pull punches okay. very often so it, okay. it could where it easily could for a movie yeah. that's trying to it's pz-13 you know anyway yeah. um watching the new season of twin peaks i love it yeah uh if you are a twin peaks fan of which i am uh you will like the new twin peaks although it is gohori because you know, he's on Showtime now. Yeah. Back in the day, he was on like ABC or something. Oh, is it still him? Yeah. Oh, wow. Absolutely. David Lynch. The, the whole cast. Like, oh, oh, wow. Almost everyone is back. Are you serious? Except for Harry S. Truman. Like, almost everyone is. The log lady is back. Wow. Everyone's been new characters. Anyway, it's total Twin Peaks. It's It's got all the elements. Um, I'm on episode two or three or four, maybe four. And it's just... It just tickles all those things, but man, it is it. He takes the gross and the gory and the graphic to a, to another <laughs> level. You know, it's okay. it's pretty gruesome at times. So, right. anyway, um, like my kind of cup of tea. Saw the movie It. Did you see it? Of course. Wait, wait. You just finally saw it? I just finally saw no it. No way. I thought we talked about this. No. I enjoyed it. Uh. I mean, I can see if you like Stephen King and you like this kind of movie, this is one of the best. Yeah, this kind of movie that you're going to yeah, see. It was creepy, man. Yeah, but I don't like these kinds of movies. Really, I, I really enjoyed it. I gave it a four. Uh, I thought that I kept. I kept whenever uh, Pennywise showed up, I was like, okay, fine. Little boy, do it, you want to play with the balloon? They just, they just, because to me, I'm like, I'm always like. You know, someone's walking down a dark hallway and Pennywise might be around. And all I can think of is like, all I can think of is, it's like Pennywise, if he wanted to, he can kill you. Yes. So it's not, I'm not, you know, and if, so if he decides not to kill this kid, then he just, so the kid, the kid has no choice. The kid's at the whim of this God. Do you know oh what I mean? Oh my God, but that's every horror movie. Right. And so, so it just, I don't, it's not interesting to me. Right. Well, because I have the same, I do, I will agree. I have that issue with ghost movies a lot because I'm like, why the ghost pussyfooting around? Like, let's just like kill the the hosts. Right. If you have (laughs) the ability, like do it or don't. Why are you, are you angry? Are you mad? Are you a bad ghost? Well, just do whatever you're going to do. Well, right. So, so I, cause I, I try to identify with the character. So if I was in that situation, I'd be like. Okay, Pennywise, you're either going to kill me or you're not. Like, stop, stop with the theatrics. You know, except, yeah. Like, except like, they're kids, right? So, <laughs> but anyway, um, uh, yeah. But so I kept wanting it to get back to essentially the 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 characters. I I, yeah. I I I sort of liked the characters, but my God, the people, you know, the Duffer Brothers and uh, the people who made it 
were developed, I assume, as they were developing these products. At the same at time. At the same time. With the they, same actors. They are, <laughs> with one of the same, that is, this is, yeah. they are almost identical creations. Yep. There are exact yep. parallels between these two. Yeah. I mean, and the Duffer Brothers were pulling from Stephen King stuff. Yeah, totally. But just the tone and the, like, I, I could see people watching it and go, oh, this is a this movie. This must be a, uh, the movie version of yeah, Stranger yeah. Things. Um, watched Youth, a uh, movie with Michael Caine and Harvey Keitel. What? Uh, came out in 2015. Gave it a 5 out of 10. Very oh. interesting, weird movie. I think made by an Italian guy. Rewatched Castle in the Sky by um, Hayao Miyazaki. Nice. Uh, love that movie. Watched, again, Waking Ned Divine. Do you remember that movie? Yeah. Uh, gave it a 7 out of 10. Could have given it an 8. Wonderful movie. It is good. They do not make movies like this anymore. Right. It's just a pleasant movie about a town in Ireland. Yeah. About normal people who are doing normal things and there's no... Right. <laughs> there's no robots, you know. No zombies. It's just this kind of, you know, there's all these hijinks that happen and it's just... Like Ready Player One. Yeah. Uh, finally watched The African Queen... Wow. With Bogart and Hepburn. I've never seen that. Um, it is an interesting movie on a number of levels. It's actually kind of entertaining. Uh, really? But it has. it's just so interesting to see a movie made in 1951 that basically has the temperament of a movie today. Really? Yeah, I mean, it has all the beats of a movie that you would see today. There's definitely dated things in yeah, it, yeah. for sure. But essentially, you have this prissy woman and this rough and tumble guy it's like a romantic comedy right it, it's a it, it is a romantic comedy it is and it's the template for it you know they they're sort of stuck on a boat together and they <laughs> and they have to get along you know right. and they have like their conflicts um but and it's also kind of an action movie because it's in the middle of i think world war ii in in africa uh rewatched alien covenant uh Wait, wait, is that the last one? Yeah. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> um, I gave it a 5 out of 10. Um, there, there are definitely some very bad moments in this movie, but because I knew what was going to happen, yeah. I... I kind of enjoyed some of the themes. Like it's pretty. It's a beautiful looking. <laughs> but but there's some so. themes where Ridley Scott is actually you know the interaction between the two androids. Sure. Yes. Is kind of cool. That was. Cool. Um, some of some of the action is is actually pretty cool when they're on that uh, when they're trying to get off the planet yeah. and they're, they're swinging around. It's you know it's what, pretty effective. What, what affected me so much, and I guess this is a prequel, so maybe it's okay. I don't know. Is it a prequel? I can't remember. Yeah. 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 Okay. In the movie Alien, in 77, right? Like, it was so long ago. That movie, you watch it today, and you can sort of be like, other than the computer screens, you're like, yeah, that checks out. That's That seems pretty legit how I imagine the spaceship stuff going along. Like, they, they got the sci-fi so incredibly, I don't know if it's right, is maybe not the word, because we don't know what it would really be like, but they got it so believable. And this was back then. And the whole movie, when they go down to the planet, they they wear their suits, and they're super careful, and then they do the corn. In this movie, they're down on the planet, no space masks, uh, breathing in spores like they're going out of style. In this planet, if you go to the wrong part of the country or the, or the world, you die from any number of infections. What is wrong with these scientists? 
So yeah. that right there, I was almost done with the movie at that point. Yeah, that that one thing I love about better movies than this <laughs> is when, like The Expanse, for example, the TV show, they will try to make it feel like you are in a an in an industry that you aren't a part of. You know, they right. use, they use sort of lingo and procedures and. You know, because whenever you watch like a documentary about the military, yeah, it is nothing like military. What you mo- think of. Yeah, you know, it, it, there's a lot of talking, there's a lot of lingo, there's a lot of like standing around, right? There's a lot of protocols, safety. You know, safety is obviously it's a thing in the military, right. and so when you watch a movie like Alien Covenant, you're like, you just watch everyone. They're all they're like normal people. Yeah, they, less than normal. Yeah. Because if I if I was one of those people, I'd be like, shouldn't we? <laughs> I'm not sure if I want to walk on this planet. Yeah. Without knowing what's even there, right. you know. Um, and so there's, then they could have they could have wrote wrote written, written that in around that. Yeah, they could have said yeah. something anyway. But you know, the thing about I think what disappoints people is that they have you know people love Alien and they had this huge expectation about these movies being something that I don't think Ridley Scott ever really was. Yeah. You know, Aliens, for example. Did he do Aliens? No. Uh, Jim, what's his name? Uh, Titanic did. Oh. Um, well, at the very least, James the Alien sort of franchise, you know, Alien itself is a great movie. I think he just did Alien and then the new, the two new ones. I'm looking at his list, yeah. Um but the, you know, Aliens... Is an action movie. And silly at times, yeah. you know? Um, they come out at night. Yeah. They mostly come out at night. But, you know, mostly. when you look at his movies, you know, he, he made Robin Hood. Uh, yeah. He made he made Black Off Down, which is amazing. Yeah. Uh, he made It's a mixed bag, for yeah, sure. Yeah, White Squall. Anyway, uh, I also saw my friend Dahmer. Have you seen this movie? Oh, my gosh. I... Did I watch... I think I did watch that, Yes. Yes. About Jeffrey, yeah, yes, it's really good. Yeah, I've seen. I've the the reason I'm guess, I'm second guessing myself is because I've seen like seriously like seven movies over the years about Jeffrey Dahmer, including that like, there's like a couple documentaries, interviews, all these kinds of things. Interesting. Yeah, there, well, there's there's been so many movies made about him because he's such a you know people find it so mind bending. Right. Well, this one I gave seven out of ten. Uh, it's about a young Jeffrey Dahmer in the early seventies, and it it basically it's like his his junior and senior in high school, right? And it everything up until his very first mur- yeah I've I've seen this murder one. you know, yeah. and the acting is great, the writing is great, and but the thing that this movie really achieves for me is I as I was watching it, I had a very complicated and I think kind of real. Um, reaction to Jeffrey Dahmer because right. the 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 movie lets you into his world more so than other people around him. Like right. we see him in the woods kill, yeah. killing a dog, for example, whereas other people don't see that. Right. They see this other thing. And you just get this real sense. Like I walked away feeling um, simultaneously bad for him and also very scared of him. And right. like right. he's a monster who has something very wrong with him. Right. And I kind of feel bad for him, 
but not, but both, you know, right. like normally with these movies, they'll push you in one direction, you know, like, oh my God, what a monster. Or, oh my God, he's just a, a struggling soul that did these bad, like you get a sense, like there is something dark in this yeah, person, right. you know, and they show you it, you know, very subtly. Yep. Like if you didn't know Dahmer was a serial killer, you'd be like, I wonder where, where is this going? Yeah. But so you, it, everything's laid out really interesting. Anyway. Um, well, yeah, cause he got, he got so fascinated at such a young age with the insides of things, right? Of anim- of animals specifically, and, right? Uh, and then and then he in his interviews he talks about that it was happening right around the time where he was developing his sexuality, yeah. And the two, and I'm sure there was, you know, but but it's weird because like everything he claims and everything his father claims and stuff like there there supposedly was no sexual abuse by his father or by his mom, but clearly something happened in the you know and. Hard to know. But anyways, he talks about his obsession with the insides of stuff. Yeah. The way they depicted it, there was divorce and strife going on in the house, but it wasn't anything right. strange. And the 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 if the movie is accurate, which God knows, of right. course, but I can imagine that happening where you have basically a kid that has, you know, a normal childhood who is having trouble with with socializing as he yep. clearly does and feels like an outsider so you so you that's not super uncommon either right. but then you add in maybe uh maybe early experience with with the insides of of an animal like fish you know and hunting right. or something and then some kind of I don't know, just visceral, visceral pleasure that comes from that, that emerges around the time that your sexuality, I mean, but he would have to be psychopathic as well. Right, right. You know? Well, what he didn't say explicitly in the interview was, but he hinted at, was that he would actually probably either pleasure himself or have sex with or around with these dead open carcasses or something. Right. There's like, I mean... (laughs) I never felt that lonely as a teenager, you know, like, <laughs> but again, as I've been saying, in other, apple pie is one thing, but <laughs> uh, other things, it's like you, you throw millions upon millions of humans right. at life right, 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 and there are going to be anomalies yeah. that emerge with a combination of temperament, family yes. life, early experiences, right. society, right. oppression, you know, like some odd things are going to ha- are going to spurt out the side when you when you add up millions but i personally i'm surprised it doesn't happen more often it's right. it's actually quite a feat of genetics in sort of our society that so many people tend to be in that bell curve in the middle right. where you just live a normal life you know yeah. you get a job you never kill anyone right you have missionary sex it and, is incredible you know, that it's more like that than not <laughs> right you know because it just seems like anything can happen and so we have this massive gravity towards the middle but occasionally you got these outliers anyway so that was a super random rambly rando, episode rando calorizian how do you oh, feel- speaking of what john solo i'm very scared i know uh, were you the one that told me that with with Rogue One they you know had to reshoot everything and they had enough time? But with this one, no, no. But 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 with Rogue One they didn't have they didn't reshoot anywhere near as much 
as with this one. But I thought they reshot like 70% of Rogue One or something. I don't know about that because this one they said Ron Howard reshot like 80% of the movie. Oh, yeah. And I haven't seen any of the previews. Have you? Have you seen any trailers? Yes, I have. Does it look bad? Well, so here's the thing I'm conflicted on. A lot of the things in the preview look exciting, except Han Solo. Yeah. He, I'm not saying, look, the guy, the, he's a good looking kid. I'm sure he's a decent actor. None of the scenes they show, and by the way, they don't show that many of him talking in the, it doesn't feel like Han Solo. It doesn't uh, remind me of Han Solo. Uh, it doesn't have that little smirk. It doesn't have the, it, 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 I, it doesn't feel like Han Solo. Yeah. But, but the scenes look good. It does look, I mean, yeah. Because honestly, that'd be a hard thing to pull off. I mean, we're so familiar with Harrison Ford. Well, know? but Obi-Wan Kenobi. Mm, but that was different because Alec Guinness was arguably barely in the Star Wars theory, you know, series. He, he was, he was at the very beginning. That's fair, but and, he, he and was very you, distinctive. And I never connected Ewan McGregor to Alec, Alec really? Guinness. Yeah, okay. I... I always, I mean, I, I saw him in the third prequel yeah. trying to sort of ape a little bit of <laughs> Al Guinness, but I never connected those I two see. people. So I think, I think to <laughs> me, it's like what you need to do is find someone that generally resembles them, but really just try to try to nail the character. But okay, but the problem is, is Han Solo is such a fleshed out sort of it is. character. It's it'd be really hard to do that, you know. It's, it, it, I mean, equivalently difficult to reboot Indiana Jones, right? And with Alec Guinness, he was so old in Star Wars, right? That so you could say, well, this is the young version. This is super young. But Han was not old. Han was, right. So if you're doing a prequel and he's an adult, he's like... And he's completely different. He's like 10 years younger, right? Yeah, but yeah. I'm not, so I, you're right. Like, maybe it's not doable, but whether it's doable or not, I don't think they're doing it. Yeah, I mean, well... <laughs> So every movie that comes out, I have been terrified. Right. <laughs> and, and, and every movie that's come out has been, uh, I think, better than Return. Um, I, I think I've liked all of these, these three new movies better than Return. Um, not as good as Empire and, and New Hope, but, but that is a humongous feat. Yeah, you know? no, I, I agree with you and mostly. So on one hand, mostly. M- you know, maybe the Han Solo movie will be awesome as well, be, and, and all of my paranoia right. will be for not. Um, or on the other hand, if it's a five, it's like, well, <sighs> come on, like, you can't have a bunch of home runs. You know, <laughs> well, but 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 don't make a movie all every single year then, like. Well, what they're doing is they're giving projects to different people, so they I know. they should have enough time. But I'll tell you what, I, you know, gripes of wrath. I am done with every single little scrap of comic book has to be turned into a movie now, and every little scrap of Star Wars will have to be a movie now. I don't need everything explored. Well, I wouldn't mind... I love the fact that there's a movie every year. Well, well but even if it were just Because I just want more. Because, like, you know, you haven't watched Rebels. You haven't watched The Clone Wars. But that's what I'm saying. Like, you have all that to watch, right? Like, Yeah. But, like, so you, you're you a certain... You're like a... Um, what should I say? Tip of the iceberg consumer. <laughs> like, I want the full... I want, you want the, the full enchilada. Like, like, with Clone Wars, for example, and Rebels, for yeah. example... 
there are some bad episodes. Of course there are. <laughs> but I still watch them, uh, you know, because I just love the world. I love the characters. Like, I'm tired of superheroes. I'm tired. Yeah. Everything is superheroes now. Well, I, I'm less in love with that. Anyway, <laughs> thanks for joining us out there. Please take care of yourself because... You deserve it.